So today, on the podcast, I've got the pleasure of Tommy Tonkins, who a lot of you will know from the Education Facebook group. Um, he's a really super guy. He, I'm very fortunate because he's a good friend, um, and I respect him enormously just as a, as a top bloke. He's super generous and talented. But when it comes to copy and anything kind of to do with words, uh, he's the first person I'm always going to go to. Um, and I've had the pleasure of working with Tommy on a couple of projects, and like I said, it, it's a real breeze and he's able to do this thing. I don't know how he does it, but you'll tell him something and then he'll rewrite it and read it back to you. And you'll go, I, wow, that's, that's, that doesn't sound like me, but it does. It's like this weird magic of how he can put together what you want to say and actually make it sound like you, but so much better. So I wanted to bring him on board because um, I am personally drowning in a sea of web funnels and, and webinars and all this kind of stuff and content and I'm always torn with like what content should I be putting out I want to go after kind of quite a specific group of say uh, startups that are quite driven and have just received funding money how the hell do I reach them how do I how do I position myself as an authority so they trust me so I'm going to start this content journey so I thought let's um let's cheat a little and get an expert in here to, to help me and answer my questions and you can all learn so Tommy, that's your um, long-winded intro, but thank you for coming. What an intro. Thanks for having me, Slad. Yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, likewise, uh, sentiments echoed right back at you. Always a pleasure to work with. Um, and uh, yeah, really, really pleased to be on the podcast. And hopefully everyone listening can learn a little bit about what we're talking about, maybe grab some, hopefully some little gems out of what we're going to discuss um, and use it to um, to better what they're doing, whatever that might be. Yeah, no, I think there's, there's loads of applications. I know that when I've talked to you before about copy, whether that's just even little things like how do you how do you write down what you say you do, that kind of little positioning statement, getting all that right. It's kind of, I, I first came across the importance of copy and advertising and I was working with my friend who was a copywriter and you that's it's only then when you appreciate how hard it is because if he's off for the day or working on another project and you have to do the copy, it is agony and you can fool yourself into thinking oh this is easy because like once a year i'll say a line which is all right but oh my god it's hard and this is beyond spelling grammarly can't help save me in this regard so what i want to do is because you're just not your average copyright you've actually you know you've got an editorial background you're a former newspaper editor so fill us in on kind of how you got started what your experience is and i'm just going to grill the hell out of you so i think i'll go i'll go way way back um my my love of stories started as a child uh and i was one of those i was always sporty and everything else um but always had a book um loved fantasy books so growing up i was like glued into stories um and for me a good story has that ability to transport you um not necessarily away from reality but it takes you to a place where it sparks your imagination it allows you to create worlds in your head you can slip into someone else's skin almost and see the world through a different pair of eyes um and yeah fell in love with stories um loved a good story and really from like an early age i can remember being about 10 and writing fan fiction from one of my favorite books that i'd read i think it was the animals of farthing wood uh and i wrote my own little story about them all um so yeah from from a really early age had always enjoyed writing and enjoyed telling stories um i got to the point where uh I'd, I'd finished school i'd gone off traveling i didn't know what i was going to do i hadn't applied to go to university uh i was some sat on a beach somewhere in australia living the backpacking dream and thought yeah man i want to study philosophy at university <laughs> uh, so i did i applied to do philosophy at university and it was the worst idea i'd ever had um I, I i got halfway through the first year of the the course and uh hated it i was like what on earth am i doing like it was up up there i won't say it's a waste of time because i did learn a lot from it but it was up there with one of the biggest waste of times i've ever done um so i changed it sounds I, I, like um so philosophy was it sounds like that would have been perfect paired with a guitar around a far side you were that guy just yeah. getting philosophical that I was. it made sense and then you did it and you were like 
I went in too deep. I, yeah, totally. Familiar. And I couldn't play the guitar. I couldn't sing. Uh, I I wasn't down with the sitting in a room and talking about pink elephants. Um, okay. Wow. Um, so, so what yeah, did you I do made, after that? Well, I made the decision. I was like, right, I'm gonna. I, and I just dropped out the course uh, and said, I'm not going to carry on doing this. It's I'm wasting my time. I'd got a job working in a bar. I was loving that. Um, and sat there and thought about it. I was in Liverpool. Um, I wanted to stay in the city. I'd made a lot of friends there. Um, and thought, well, what do I really want to do? And there was a creative writing course at John Moores University. Um, and I thought, you know what? I've always, you know, I've always loved writing. Why am I trying to be something that I'm not? Which again comes back into what makes good content, which we can talk about a little bit later. Why, you know, why am I trying to be something that I'm not? Why not just do the things that I love? Um, even if it might be in inverted commas, a Mickey Mouse degree, which a lot of people, you know, family included, yeah, I'm going to do a degree in creative writing writing and they were like fucking hell he's just gone from philosophy to creative writing <laughs> wow <laughs> he, he's gone super deep so i doubled down on the fireside playing guitar getting in touch with myself <laughs> literally uh and uh yeah ended up studying uh imaginative writing it was called at john moore's university in liverpool uh which was one of the best decisions i've ever made Wow, because um, I think that's, that. the storytelling's big, isn't it? Because I remember the first time I probably it was a few while, but I I really got into storytelling. It was the articles in Playboy. They were just uh, you know a lot of people overlook them, but it's there's some seriously <laughs> good stuff there. But I digress. The um the art of storytelling is a big one, and I know that we've I've always badgered you about this before, but um I think that's really interesting because I know that like with the storytelling point of view from there seems to be a standard formula that people trot out quite a lot. And it's kind of, that's something I'm going to definitely want to talk to you about. Cause I, I think being able to master storytelling, cause as you say, good stories done properly, it's so captivating. Mm -hmm. So that's the, yeah, I'd love to dip into that if that's okay with you later. So sorry, you were doing your creative writing degree. That yeah. was going really well. And had a, had a fantastic time doing it. Learned a lot about, learned a lot about myself. Um, learned a lot about what works in terms of telling a story and the techniques to use in order to capture that imagination right from the get-go. Um, but also really importantly, learned to have my work criticised. Um, so when you are however old I was then, 20, uh, and you're a precocious writer and you write some poetry or you write a short story and then you share it with a group of your peers and they tear it to shreds. The first time you do that, it's like having your soul attacked with a thousand knives. Um, it tears you apart because you're like, well, no, this is amazing. This is the greatest thing that's ever been written by anyone ever. And of course it isn't. Um, and so you get really used really quickly to having your work criticized, which in a professional capacity, now means that I have one I have a super thick skin and two I realize that working with other people I can actually make my work better than if I'm just trying to do it on my own um mm -hmm. it's a really important lesson there um graduated from from university and followed she was my girlfriend at the time she's now my wife followed her down to the southwest where she was doing her teacher training at Exeter University um I had no job to go to uh, I moved because of love uh, and I was actually meant to be staying in Liverpool and it got to two weeks before Polly was leaving and I said I, I can't do it I can't do it I've got to come with you and she kind of looked at me and was like I can't believe it it was like this big romantic gesture and I'd actually just pissed her off because everything was planned she kind of said right you have to sort everything out so I did. Uh, and we ended up living in a little place called Oakhampton, which for UK based listeners will know is in uh, is in Devon on the edge of Dartmoor, pretty much in the middle of nowhere um, where nothing happens. Generally, nothing happens. There's not good job prospects. Um, yeah, I moved there and I had no idea what I was going to do. So I ended up uh, got there, had a little explore of the town slash village and noticed there was a newspaper office the Oakhampton Times on, on the high street. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to walk in there and see if they need any freelance writers. So wandered into this newspaper office, said, um, uh, hey, guys, uh, I'm a writer. Do you, do you need any writing doing? And the receptionist said, um, well, actually, uh, our reporter left last week. Uh, so we're on the lookout for a new reporter. Brilliant. Uh, so I said, yep, I can do that. 
uh, got in the car, drove to Exeter, went to Waterstones, bought a book about journalism, re- read it that night, <laughs> read it that night, went the next day, ended up going to Tavistock, where the paper was based out of for a trial day in their newsroom. And they liked me and I liked them. And then a week later, I was based in Oakhampton on my own at the age of, I was probably 23 at this point, um, writing the news for the Oakhampton Times. Uh, which was a weekly paper published once every week. Um, And yeah, it was just me. I was there. I was the reporter and then ended up becoming the editor of that as well. Um, And again, in terms of grounding, in terms of finding a story, learning the best way to tell it. And again, really importantly, something I still find myself drawing on every single day with the work that I do now is being able to get things done quickly um, and not taking huge amounts of time to create copy. Yes, sometimes things take a little bit longer, but when you've got a relatively small town where nothing happens and you're producing a 68 page newspaper every single week, you need to fill it with stories. So you need to find them and you need to be quick when you're doing it, um, particularly when things come in in the last minute. If something comes, if a big story breaks the day before you're going to print, and you know this is going back to 2007, so it's in the days before social was big um, and before media outlets had truly embraced the, the internet like we see now. Um, so yeah, you have to turn it around really, really quickly. And again, being able to work fast under pressure is learning that lesson from there is something that I find myself drawing um, drawing down on on a daily basis. Um, loved, loved my time there. Um, I wanted to get a formal journalism qualification. So I ended up um, then moving down to Cornwall to Falmouth to do a master's degree in broadcast and multimedia journalism. Had every intention of moving to London, uh, writing for The Guardian and changing the world, and then fell in love with this part of the world and, and haven't left. <laughs> uh, but my journey from there took me to working with Shelterbox, a disaster relief charity, um, as they're uh, running their communications, um, particularly in terms of telling the story of the work that they do out in the field. Uh, yeah. From there, worked uh, worked for a marketing agency as a head of content. And um, yeah, four and a half years ago now, um, went out on my own. Um, uh, I learned a lot through my different roles as well as writing. Um, you know, I can do things like video work, build websites, create email marketing campaigns, run social ads, write social copy, manage social accounts for people. So I had many strings to my bow, um, went freelance four and a half years ago. Um, and this, the main strength of what I've always done has always been writing and creating content for people. When I first went freelance, I would take on any work just to pay the bills, essentially, because I wanted to be successful. I wanted to build myself up with what I was doing. Now, four and a half years later, 90% of what I do is creating content for people. There's still the odd 10% with clients who've been with me from the start where I'll still run some social ads for them. I'll still do a little bit of website maintenance. But as I, and I, you know, if I spoke to a business coach, they'd say you need to get rid of those clients. Uh, but they've been with me from the start and they're friends and I'm always a little bit reluctant to do that. So, um, yeah. yeah, and that brings me to, I guess, where we are now. Amazing. So it is, yeah, that's like you said, it's kind of... um a fascinating journey and like lots of ups and downs so i guess because the twofold is thing obviously you've you have this ability with words and i think as you when you said about a 68 page newspaper every week that's terrifying especially when i guess there there's probably not much going on it's not like hot fuzz where there's murders every week it's kind of like you're you're, you're more in the wallace and gromit the largest marrow competition territory so that's not easy and then obviously working at speed. So, so that that's interesting for me. So at the moment, how do you structure your days to get the most done out of them? Um, so what I do every, depending on how the weekend's gone, either I'll take an hour on a Sunday night or I'll yep. take an hour between like six and seven on Monday morning. Um, I use a combination of Trello, um, uh, which is the to do free to-do list app that you can get. Um, so I use a combination of Trello, uh, Harvest and Google, whether that's Gmail and Google Drive. Um, I have on my Trello board split into primarily three uh, three different lists. There's my to-do list, there's my doing list, and then there's my done list. And then I have my on hold list as well. Um, I use a little extension for that called Planiway, which is a calendar that drops down above the list uh, where you can drag your, your Trello cards into it. So each uh, on the Sunday night, the Monday morning, I'll sit down and I'll look at my to-do list. Um, 
for the first thing I'll do is I'll put in all the appointments that I've got that week. Um, and I put my personal stuff in there as well. So if I am doing a CrossFit class, I'll block that time out. Um, if I've got, you know, podcast interview with Thad goes in there, um, a, you know, appointment with the chiropractor, that'll go in there as well. Then I go back to my to-do list and I see, okay, what's my, what's my priorities? Um, what's the, what's the most pressing thing I need to do this week? And also what's going to take the most time? Because if you put the hardest thing that you have to do in on a Friday afternoon, there's zero chance of you ever getting it done. Um, if you put the hardest thing that's going to take the most time in on a Monday morning, um, you will start the week well and you will get that done. And then your Everest for that week has already been conquered, which then makes yeah. everything else you've got to do a little bit easier and flow a little bit quickly. Of course, it doesn't always work uh, as smoothly as that, but that's the way that I try to do it. So then I'll build up within Trello and in the Planningway app. I'll just block out the time for each day. Um, so then every job that I've got to do goes in there and I can look at my week and the helpful thing with this is if then a client or a new prospect or what, whoever rings up and says, oh, is there any chance we could have this done by Thursday? I can have a look in, I can have a look in a snapshot and see, okay, yeah, I've got time to fit that in. I can do that. There's a space on a Wednesday afternoon that, isn't fill, that, that hasn't been filled. I can drop it in there. Um, equally, if, if it's full already, I can say, well, sorry, no, I'm full for this week or however it might be. Of course, sometimes things are last minute and urgent and it then comes down to a judgment call as if you're going to be able to move things around and, and get it done. If you can shift things which aren't necessarily an urgent priority. So that's how I plan my day. So then when I start each day, I've got my list of what I need to work through that day. Um, that's that's also mixed in with my fun stuff that I'm doing as well. So I know that, you know, I might be working from, say, eight o'clock in the morning through to midday, but then at midday, I'm going to stop. I'm going to go for a coffee with a friend. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to come back and then work through my afternoon job. So, yeah, that's how I plan my day out. That sounds to work very well. I think, like I said, it's I think the phrase is, is it eat the frog? That kind of, uh, I know when I was doing the action coach stuff, they had this, like, every night you, you do a list of the three things you want to do the next day. And one of them is, and eat the frog is the hardest, nastiest bit, which is you have to go and do that first. So like I say, the rest of the day feels easy after you've done that. Yeah, get get the tough stuff out of the way. And the cool thing with using, um, you know, use technology to help you. Um, yeah. So for, for example, I'm a big believer in the inbox zero principle um, by having no emails in my inbox. And the way that I can do that is I've got an add-on, a Trello add-on for Gmail. So if an email comes in, that I know has something in there that needs to go onto my to-do list, I'll just click on a button. It sends it automatically to my Trello board, to my to-do list, and it's on there. And then I file the email away because it's then just stored within, within Trello. All the contents of that email are then in the note itself. Um, so my inbox stays relatively um, decluttered and free, which re you know really helps me. I can't cope if there's a whole big list of emails in there that I haven't cleared and sorted. Um, so yeah, use technology to help you. And I think I don't think there's a hard and fast rule on something like this. For me, it's about finding what works for you and the way that I you know the way that I manage my time and my projects um, is going to be different to how you run and manage yours uh, and the next person run and manage theirs. Uh, I think the most important thing is to find something that works and then stick to it and commit to it. Um, and it doesn't necessarily matter what that is. Just make sure it's something that works for you and means that you're particularly if you're freelance, that you're in control of your time and that you're disciplined enough to to stick to doing things when you say you're going to do them. Yeah. And you said about working fast as well. You picked that up. So how do you, because I think overthinking is a big problem or there is obviously the Parkinson's law thing, which is if you set yourself two hours, it will take you two hours. So how do you work fast and efficiently sort of thing? So I think for me, so if I've got my my writing work um, is is split between a number of different areas. So I'll write blog articles for people. I'll write newsletters. I'll write eBooks. I'll write website copy. I'll write landing pages, uh, guides. I might do write social copy for people. Um, so there's a whole range of different things in there. If we take a blog article, um, 
writing a blog article about how employee engagement can create a happy workforce as an example is something that I'm working on at minute. It's probably going to take a little bit longer than if I was writing something for, say, five tips on how to be a better freelancer um, as yeah. something off the top of my head. Um, and what I try and do before I before I sit down and write it, I'll just spend a little t little bit of time thinking about what shape and what structure I want this article to take. So what are the main points that I want to get in there? And that's where I'll start. I'll put in those main points. And I think with any kind of content, you have to, one, of course, you have to understand the audience. So who are you writing it for? Um, but secondly, what do you want them to get out of it? Um, and how are you going to add, add value to them? Um, we are all uh we're all busy people and time is precious so if we're going to take four or five minutes out of our day to read a thousand word blog article um how can we make sure that those five minutes of time well spent um so then particular so then people if you add value someone reads reads a blog article they take five minutes out of the day with a cup of coffee and they read an article that you've written and they get to the end of it and they think I've learned something there. Um, I can action that. It's added value to my life. I feel better uh, and I feel enriched somehow for having read that. I'm going to come back and consume more of this person or this business's content. Um, so for me, yeah, I start with the, the key points I want to get across and knowing what I want the reader to get out of that um, and almost how I want them to feel. There's that lovely quote from Maya Angelou that says um, people won't, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Um, yeah. So how do you want someone to go away from having experienced your content, whether that's an Instagram story or whether that's a blog article, whether that's an ebook? What feeling do you want to create inside them? Going back to what I said right at the start about stories and stories having this magical quality. Um, and if we think about stories as well, it's it's how we it's how communication started. You know, we would uh, going back hundreds, thousands of years, we'd sit around fires and tell stories to each other. The oral tradition was how uh, how knowledge was passed down. Um, so there's an element I think within us where we're wired up to respond to stories. Um, so. Yeah, knowing that feeling that you want to create uh, is a really good place to start and then almost work backwards from there. OK, so how am I going to if you want someone to go away feeling inspired, how are you going to inspire them? What are the points you want to have in that article? What do you want them to take away from it? Get your key points in there and then shape the story around that with the beginning, the middle and the end. And I'm, a, you know, I am a big believer in that. Start off punchy. Uh, so you get straight to the point um, and you kind of hit people hard when they come in rather than sort of drifting a little bit around the edges. Go in forceful. It's something they teach in um, TV and film editing, uh, particularly for, for, news, um, for news pieces. Start with your best shot. Start with your most powerful shot. And there's an element of doing that with writing as well. Start start really powerfully and really strong, then lead into those points that you want to expand upon, expand upon the main points you want to get in there, and then give someone a really solid conclusion at the end and, and an action they can take after having read that. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting because I think I've seen, so a couple of different things I've come across. One that makes me laugh is on AppSumo. They always have um, TLDR. Have you seen that too, before? Too long, didn't read. Yeah, and they just put bullet points. So it's yeah. like you really can't be bothered to read yeah. this. We've done it for you, which I thought was hilarious because it's like, Christ, are we that lazy that we just can't <laughs> even handle scrolling? But yeah. I know that they've always talked about a kind of more sales copy. And like I said, it's for you. It's, it's interesting and quite nice to hear because I would always be concerned about if I wrote an article, am I... And it's similar to what you've said, actually, because you're looking to try and get a response from that person, but it's more like to buy what you're selling. You know, it's that kind of thing of can I can I get them to sort of engage by downloading something from me or signing up for something? But it the whole structure, which was always you lead with fear or the problem. It's like the QVC thing. Do you find yourself doing this? Well, wow, look at this. And it's that kind of I. It, the 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 framework which I learned and it was a, a guy called Ray Edwards and it was the pastor framework so it's problem amplify solution testimony offer and response which I found as useful as a structure but I do kind of miss that thing of just wanting to write an article that's really helpful so I so the question for you is 
where's the balance between should I be looking to be selling in my copy or have that as an underpinning or should I just be making people like kind of feel good and like you say leaving them with a something valuable so they want to come back because I prefer your version which is if I just give you as much value as possible I hope you'll come back but having done that in the past the sales weren't as forthcoming as I would have liked so therefore I was like well do I need to make it more salesy or do I need to inject some scarcity in here to get people to react so what's your sort of take on which approach or you know what you see as working I think to put a little bit of context around it, um, because we are we live in an incredibly noisy world now and content has exploded, um, particularly over the past five years. Um, and it was, you know, it was the five years previous to that. It was growing quickly. But the past five years, there's been this huge explosion of content an awful lot which isn't very good um, and it's just a waste of time and it exists because people have gone you need to create content uh, if you want to be successful you need to blog every week mm. uh, and you need to do this and you need to do that and blah 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 um the short answer is you don't uh if you've got a great product that sells and happy customers that are going to tell their friends uh to buy your product or buy your service who are then going to tell their friends to do the same thing uh, and you're perfectly successful doing that you you don't need content uh and this might you know i'm doing myself out the job here uh but if you you know if you are uh if you're selling stuff and you're happy with where you are don't feel that you have to be creating a whole bunch of content to go around side it because you don't however if you want to grow if you want to tell your story if you want to reach more people if you want to resonate with people if you want to leave a lasting impact or be a force for good in the world or simply sell more things um, then content is a great way of achieving all of those things and you're like i think um in terms of where we receive sales messages um, I still think it's very rare that someone will read a blog article and go, I need to buy that piece of software after reading that blog article, or I need to book myself into that restaurant or that hotel, or I absolutely need those pair of trainers because I've just read a blog article about some dude in New York who goes running around Central Park every morning in them and then stops for his coffee and he looks really cool. And you might do if you saw that. I think I probably would. Um, but <laughs> You, um, it's rare you will read one blog article and then go on to buy something off the back of it. However, it's incredibly important in one or a number of different ways. Um, for for search, you can't, um, if people are, you know, your inbound channel, people for searching for the things that you do, blog content is a great way of ranking highly for that and bringing them into you and reaching a new audience. It's also incredibly important for getting your personality across so people understand who you are and what your story is and what you're passionate about and what you love. Um, and it's a great opportunity to make your brand come to life. Um, even if you're a freelancer, it's a great opportunity to be you and put yourself out there for the world to see. And if you love what you do and if if you're good at it you shouldn't be scared of doing that just stay true to yourself um and put you know put put out there what you want the world to see from you um so yeah i think in so for me it comes back to what's the point in creating that article um yeah. if you haven't got anything worth saying then don't say it um, and don't be pressured into thinking okay i need to blog every week i need to blog every week um say things when you feel that you need to say them uh in terms of then how do you translate that into a sales message because it does work despite me saying earlier that you know um you uh, that if you've got a good product and a good service you don't necessarily need to create a lot of content great content does work um and it's about having a mixture if you you know if you listen to say six music as your radio station and yeah. you got up and you put it on and it would it's the same dj from seven o'clock in the morning through to seven o'clock at night playing pretty much the same songs you'd get bored and you'd turn it off um and that's why a dj will be on for two hours and then a new presenter will come in and then another one and while the music that they play 
will match the same kind of genres that Six Music play. They'll all be different types. There'll be different songs, different bands, different flavours of music. Um, so you're giving the listener, in this case, a richer experience. And it's exactly the same with content that you create. If every single post was a 2,500 word thesis on whatever you wanted it to be, like really long form, deep content, of which there's absolutely a time and a place for, people are going to get bored of it pretty quickly unless it's off the charts good. Um, equally, if everything's a micro blog or you just, you know, some people will just use Instagram, but if you're just using Instagram stories, for, for, for example, um, uh, people who want more of that, they might not necessarily know where to get it. So for me, it's about getting that mix and that balance right. Um, and when you get that balance right, there is 100% a time and a place to then drop in uh, sales content. So Paul Jarvis, who's the author of a book called A Company of One, um, he runs a lot of online courses as well. Um, he does a brilliant one for MailChimp. Um, and there's another one he does, which I can't remember off the top of my head. He sends out a newsletter every week uh at the same time on a sunday and this newsletter that he sends out is an article um and it's about a whole range of different things it's uh everything you know there was a brilliant one earlier in the year about knowing when enough is enough um in terms of when you're growing your business there's stuff about digital privacy on there um really interesting and varied topics which all kind of slot in around his course is the core thing that he does which is selling online courses um, so you, you get this real valuable content and then once a year he will do a big sales email where he does a deep discount on all of his courses so instead of paying $500 or whatever it is per course you get all five of them for 300 or whatever it works out at and he does yeah. this sale he does this sales email and he obviously does it because it works and it converts um, there's there's obviously a big return in there for him um, and it works because it's one, he's consistent with his content. Um, it comes out, yeah, the email comes out at the same time uh, every single week and it's in the same format. Um, and he adds so much value with the articles that he puts together. They're brilliant. I'm a massive fan that when he then puts the sales uh, pitch out there, I don't need any of those courses and I still nearly bought them. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's how good and how strong it was. Like I don't need to do a MailChimp course because I worked for an email marketing agency for two years. Like I know yeah. all the stuff, um, but I, I almost bought it anyway because I, I kind of felt that I owed him for all this value that he's given me. Like I wanted to support him. Um, and Matt, if he put like a T-shirt out with a slogan on, I'd probably buy it. Uh, yeah. because I've become a fan, uh, because he adds value into my life. And the experience that I get from reading his email on a Sunday afternoon makes my world a better place. And I think that's what great content should do. That's really interesting. So it's very, he he curates articles. So does he write them himself or does he bring in highlights that he's found? Or No, he writes them himself. So every article is just written from him. Um, okay. It's Yeah, it's really good. Uh, definitely worth worth checking out. Um, I, if we can put the link in the notes or something. Then people yeah, I'll do that because I like that approach. That's the sort of um, the jab, 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 right hook approach, isn't it? Where you just give value, value, value. And then when you ask for the sale, you're unashamedly going, I'm asking for the sale. Yeah, exactly. And there's a wonderful quote, actually, from uh, the Gary Vee book, the jab, jab, uh, jab, right hook one, where he says that um, uh, your number one job is to tell your story to the consumer wherever they are. And preferably at the moment, they're deciding to make a purchase. So that's a, and that and, you know, that's very much the Gary Vee method of constantly being in someone's face, um, yeah. but also telling that story. So when they are ready to make that purchase, um, whether that's buying, you know, a new podcasting microphone or a new camera or a new, you know, new pair of trainers, we we're constantly looking as consumers. I think for something more than the product that we buy, we want that experience that comes with it. We want the kudos that we get from buying something. Uh, we want to, we want it to make us feel good um, and get that little endorphin rush of when we experience something for the first time, or, you know, we go into a bar that we've seen on Instagram, we order a drink or like a fancy cocktail or whatever it may, might be. And you have a sip of it and you're like, yeah, I'm here. And I saw this first on Instagram or I read an article that said that recommended this as like one of the top bars 
cards to go. I'll use Shield Ditch as the example because I was just there. Um, and yeah, we want that. We want that experience. It's more than just the product or service. We want everything that goes around it and fills in the edges. Okay, so so now I've got some because I'm thinking of lots of questions as you're answering. So the the things that I would want to know, and this is with a view to, I guess I haven't done blogging for ages, and I want to start putting out more content that's uh, that I enjoy doing. You know, not that I feel I ought to be doing. And the questions I probably want to do is, uh, how can I create something which is truly valuable? What ways can I set up listening posts to actually find out what my audience wants? Um, and then how do I get it seen? Because I, I kind of, one thing I noticed when I did the stuff in Times Square was because I kind of feel that sometimes social media is just digital procrastination and it's a distraction that is fine, but is, is addictive and unhelpful. And having built up my Instagram following to quite large over two years, it didn't result in clients. I know that my content wasn't right in hindsight, but I was also aware that I was spending probably three hours a day doing it. And I enjoyed it, but it was ultimately pointless in my opinion. Um, to a certain extent anyway but uh, it may also makes you realize when I was in New York it's like you launch a billboard with Gary Vee on the side and you have eight minutes of awareness and then you're forgotten and it's like I'm leveraging all of the people I know to raise awareness and nobody gives a shit after about eight minutes and you're like wow because I'm not always on social media it's like a club so the questions I'd want to know is I'm putting together better content what should be my approach? So how do I make sure I'm putting out content that my audience actually needs? That I so, so again, it's not the listicle kind of BuzzFeed type content that's very generic and there's lots of it out there, but there's maybe a bit more specific. So how do I find that out? And then how do I make sure it's seen by the right people? So for do the first play. Yeah, well, I think for the first part of the uh, first part of your question of what kind of content should I create, um, yeah. and whether that's you know you personally for either branding or authentication or anyone, whether you're you know you're a freelance designer, listen to this, or you work in advertising, or you run a small business that sells flowers, um, start with the questions that people ask you. So when you start working with a customer for the first time. Um, what, do, what, what kind of questions do they ask you? What do they want to know? Um, if we use, used to work in the hotel industry, if we use a hotel as an example, your, your guests will come in through the door and they'll say things like, you know, if it's a dog-friendly hotel, they'll say, oh, well, it's nice to walk the dog around here. Um, so yeah. straight away, there's an article about the best dog walks, uh, the best dog walks within five minutes of the hotel or whatever it might be. Um, they'll say, mm -hmm. well, wh where's, where's really good to go for a coffee? Uh, so you do an article about the best coffee shops in Cornwall. Um, they'll say, what what beaches are great to watch the sunset on? Um, this is all an example for hotels. No, but this is this is really good because I came across a book which was They Ask, You Answer. Have you come across that? No. And it's I haven't heard of it, but it was um, I was on Audible just buying books that I don't listen to. So I no longer read books. I don't even listen yeah. to them anymore, <laughs> which is even worse. Um, but I was it was recommended and I bought it and I won't listen to it. But what it was, it was about a guy who'd made a lot of money from selling swimming pools. And his thesis was like, be the Wikipedia for pools. So whatever they ask you is what you're saying, exactly that. Just make a little video or write an article about it. And eventually that you will kind of be the go-to resource for anything and everything to do with that subject. Yeah, exactly. You know, design, if we take design as an example, um, and I'm sure a lot of designers will get this all the time and they'll say, you know, why does it cost a thousand dollars to get a logo from from you when I can get one from 20 from Fiverr or whatever it might be? Uh, yeah. And then that, you know, there's a there's a blog article there. Explain it. Or there's a little video there. You know, there's a video that you can do to on your phone to go on IGTV and on your Instagram account. Um are you then going to convert that person into a sale? I don't know, is the honest answer. Um, but by answering their questions, one, they're asking you that the good thing about this approach, um, and there are other approaches which I'll touch on in a second, but the good thing about this approach is people are asking you this anyway. So you're spending your time answering the question. And if you get, you know, 10 clients in a month asking you the same question, which you either have to answer on a phone call or an email, if you can just send them a link to a blog article, oh, actually, here's a blog article about that question, about, you know, why it costs more to for me to work with you than it does for whatever um mm. or, or 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 how yeah depending on what those questions are 
answer them. And it also gives you, again, this chance to get your personality over there. And we have uh, authenticity has become a huge buzzword, particularly over the past three or four years. And everyone is now striving to be authentic so far that you know that we've gone so far down the we have to be authentic route that it's just because a lot of it has become stylized nonsense as people preaching about yeah. authenticity um who are the least authentic people out there on social and creating content this doesn't mean that authenticity is bad it just means like everything that people have piggybacked on it and destroyed it um yeah but you know but that authenticity thing is still true it's like be yourself so if if you were you know if your mum asked you a question and said uh oh tommy why should i have a content strategy i don't don't know why my mum would ask me that question but she might um i'd sit down and i'd have a conversation with her and i'd explain it as me uh, and i'd answer that question so when you sit down to write it um don't try and all of a sudden become a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Just answer answer that question like you'd be telling a friend or a family member and write like you speak and write what you know, particularly when you're new to this. Um, yeah, don't try and get too clever with it. Just just be you. Um, and if someone and if if you're friendly and you love what you do, if, if you make jewelry and someone says, Well, how do you make that jewelry? Write a blog article about how you make the jewelry and take them through the process of how you do it. Where you know, where you're a restaurant, where do you source where do you source your meat from? Um, there's another blog article there. Um, so answering questions is a really good way of going about it. Solving problems is another one. So by identifying the problems that your key customers face. Um, So again, and this is doing a little bit of work into understanding your audience. And if we touch on journalism again, the same... the same news story that is going to be told in The Guardian is going to be told in a completely different way in the Daily Mail because they're catering to two completely different audiences. Um, so for you, as someone who's creating content for your business, who's going to buy your product? Is it a, a you know, is it a 16-year-old uh, teenage boy or is it a 54-year-old lady? Um, because the difference between the two is huge. And what resonates with one and creates that feeling and that emotional connection isn't necessarily going to resonate with the other. So you need to understand who your audience are. And then you need to create content that speaks to them in a way that they get and they understand. So solve their problems. Um, and a big thing for me is you you kind of engage people's minds with what you're doing, but touch their hearts as well. So engage minds and touch hearts. And what I mean by that is um, don't be afraid to have emotion in your post. Some of the most powerful pieces of content that um, I've created or I've read or I've enjoyed have been there where people have just broken down all the barriers and they've gone, this is me on the, you know, this is me on a plate right here. Um, And I think that's incredibly powerful. And if people, again, leave having consumed some of your content and they feel something you know it doesn't have to be deep and meaningful it could be something like it's made them laugh um they're going to remember you um and i think that's the key thing is staying at the top of people's mind so then when it comes going back to that gary v quote when it comes to them making a purchase and they want you know uh, they want an electrician or a plumber or whatever oh well this electrician creates amazing content that i've seen on my social channels um they're they're likely to come back to you um so i think the second part of the question of how do you get it seen is the harder part um yes there is paid promotion um and i think for um bigger pieces of content so for example um Uh, If you create an ebook or a guide that people can download and you use for data capture, that's all part of the funnel, which we see all the time and we hate, but sometimes when they're done well, they work really well. Um, As an example of an ebook I created for a client earlier on in the year, um, it's now led to them having a meeting with Chanel uh the the perfume factory which which was a lead that came from a download of of an ebook um and a really good one you know if if that if that deal um if they close that deal it's worth a lot of money to them and it's come from a piece of content that they created um for things like ebooks uh and for a bigger piece of content particularly where you want to have data capture i'd 100 percent use paid promotion 
um, to get them yeah. out there, whether that's uh, whether that's Google AdWords or whether that's Facebook advertising or whether that's LinkedIn ads. Um, for other content, I think groups are a great great way of doing it. If you're an active member of groups, particularly Facebook groups, and it's something that's relevant to that uh, conversation and that topic, uh, is putting them in there. Um, I'm also a big, you know, a big fan of a good Instagram story, and that's another good place to drive people towards your content. Um, yeah, use all the tools that are available to you. There isn't there isn't a silver bullet um and quite a lot of businesses you'll you'll work with will say well what how can we go viral and so well do you really want to go viral um and and actually what's you know if you go viral great you know millions of people might see your content but is that actually going to put anything onto the bottom line um email emails are a great way of sending of, of distributing your content as well so building up that building up that list um there's loads of different ways you can you can build your database up. Uh, like we just said about using something like an ebook to grow that list or a special offer that people have to sign up for. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good way of going about it. So then, if you do create two blog articles a month, say you can then send them out to your database. Um, if you're selling stuff, then have an opt-in permission where you can again communicate with your customers and you constantly send them value. And I think particularly with the selling of product and services as well, to a certain extent, um, aftercare is something that we forget about. And actually yeah. it's much easier to upsell to an existing customer, particularly if they've had a good experience and they love what you do, than it is to bring someone new in. Um, so constantly reinf reinforcing that with, uh, you know, with stories about, uh, stories about you and your brand and it doesn't always have to be about the particular product or service that you offer it can be things around that as well so for me as, a, as an example um i could create a whole bunch of blog articles around content and creating content but now i can also talk about freelancing i can also talk about life because that's important to what i do um it's about painting that picture and telling that story um yeah. and and bringing it to life it's you know make things technicolor rather than them being black and white so yeah so people love what you do so yeah that like you said that and that's kind of there's an overall strategy like you said there isn't a magic formula there's lots of different ways to doing it it's probably that thing of starting with you know with so you know what they need help with so that's the thing because they're asking you questions anyway um i think as a caveat to that i'd always make sure that the answers you give are aimed at the type of people you want to attract. And that was more with the Instagram thing. I used to get a lot of designers asking me tips or advice or where they get typefaces. I never got clients. So I think that's as far as kind of what you're putting out there, you've really got to be quite disciplined to make sure it resonates with a particular type of audience and doing your kind of demographic and psychographics within that regard as much as you can, I think really helps. Uh, it's like fishing, isn't it? It's like we can all chum the waters, but if you want to get proper better bigger fish you need to be quite specific about when and where you're fishing um yeah i really like the idea of what you're saying about kind of do a bit of everything uh and it's really just about putting keeping top of mind and not and taking the pressure off yourself it's like look you know you can't control when they need you but if you're worth paying attention to and i know like what you said about invoking an emotion is massively important because of neurologically you know you're you're they're releasing lots of dopamine and neurochemicals you're more memorable physiologically because that you're doing that to them so i think that's really like say quite a nice sentiment and kind of it takes the pressure off because i think that certainly in the past i've become paralyzed with thinking okay i want to build an email list and you'll, you get really into it but then you don't really you're building it for the metrics you're not really enjoying the process it's kind of like right if i build an email list and i build a lead magnet and it just becomes this obsession with ticking the boxes but not actually thinking why am I doing it? And can I commit to doing this sort of every couple of weeks from now on and actually enjoying the process? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll come back to that on a second. I just want to touch on SEO because it's something that uh, I got a Slack message today from a client saying, oh, this blog article we wrote is now ranking number one uh, in Google. Yeah. Um, and that came about because they did, so as well as answering questions, they took it upon themselves to do some keyword research to identify phrases that had low competition, uh, but were searched for quite frequently. Um, and they do that. 
they probably used a keyword tool i'd imagine um they okay. they did it yeah i'm not quite i'm not i don't know the ins and outs uh of the dark arts of seo but i think yeah. what they did what what they probably did is identify all the keywords that we want to target they then put them into something like google's keyword tool um and saw which ones had uh, a high volume of searches but a low competition i.e the, the you know the competition to rank well for that phrase isn't particularly yeah. high so you've got a better chance of ranking well for it so what we did in terms of content strategy is we then picked out those key phrases that we knew we could write some really good content about that then came to me i planned the content around it and did everything else that we've talked about in terms of you know it's the right per it's the right tone it's personality it's adding value um yeah and created an article uh based on this one specific phrase uh that we're now ranking number one for so that's again another way of as well as answering those questions that people have solving people's problems if you want to get really advanced into it then look at what people are searching for and, and target those low-hanging fruits as in as in where you can uh but to come back to what you were saying about um ebooks and guides and stuff starting with you know starting with okay i want to grow my email marketing database um yeah. is the wrong place to start um okay. start with the fact that i have something that i really i have a story i really want to tell um and tell that story and then if it's a great story you will grow your email marketing database because people will want to download it so no you were saying like it's the thing of wanting to build your email list is is the wrong objective you were saying it's kind of don't set don't start with that agenda in mind you were saying that's the wrong way to go about it uh, wrong might be too harsh a word um because we might sit there and we go yeah we want to get more contacts we want to build our email marketing list and this uh, this is a great way of going about doing it um but for me i would always start with uh what what do i love what do I want to get out there? What do I want people to read? Um, what value do I want to give them? Uh, so, for example, something that I'm working on at the minute is uh, how to save the world with better stories. Um, yeah. It's like how to save your world, brackets, and your business with better stories. Um, and it's literally just split into 10 sections of different ways that people can do that. I don't want to do that to grow my... It would be amazing if people download it. I'd be really pleased. Um I'm not doing that because I want to sell for them, sell to them. I'm doing that because I I really believe in it. Um, I think the world is a better place with better stories in it. Um, whether that's a, a business telling their story to another business, whether it's B two C or whether it's literally just people telling better stories. Um, yeah. So I want to create that because I believe in it and I'm passionate about it. Um, the argument, you know, the flip side of that argument would be, oh, yeah, but you don't need it to generate leads because, you know, you're successful, you're booked up until whenever, blah, 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 um, all of that stuff. Um, and, yeah, I get that. Uh, but, but for that me... But it's working, though, doesn't it, though? That's, that's, yeah. It's so important to not overlook that because if... Because I think that my biggest problem is always getting distracted by the next big thing that comes along. And I think Facebook is a bit of a fucker for this because they know that I'm intrigued by these courses or get which quick sort of nonsense and not all marketing because i'm fascinated and i want to share the knowledge but also there's this thing of always oh, that the answer and so you 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 inquire about how ways of uh, you don't need social media to get more clients you go oh that's interesting i want to know why and then you realize it's too uh authentic inverted commas girls sitting there with their sort of boho mugs and it's like we're going to teach you how to do it we're not going to tell you about what our expertise is in or why what we did originally when we were struggling. We're now going to sell you courses and we're going to sell you some magical bullshit secret, which is at the end of a webinar, which we're finally going to reveal. And then we're going to upsell you some crap. And I hate that. Yeah. yeah. So what I wanted to say is, so it's this thing of I get dragged off by that, by coming up with an idea. Oh, that would be nice. I never do it. And it drives me insane. And I'm going to stop doing this. But I, but I think what you just said is you're booked. You're busy. You're earning a lot more than you ever did when you were salaried. You're one of the few people I know successfully making a go of this and growing steadily. It's kind of, if this is your philosophy and it's working for you and this is what you do for a living, I kind of feel that that's enough, you know, because I see so much of the salesy shit online and I'm exhausted by it. I don't, you know, all these fake ads and these, it's just, it's so, there's so much um, opportunist 
crap out there that takes advantage of people by selling them the get rich quick thing. So I love the fact you've said there's no silver bullet. You have to create content that's true to you. You have to do it because it matters to you and it will it will resonate with like-minded people. And if you're delivering enough value, they'll stay around for long enough until they probably need you or someone they know does. And I think for me as a content strategy, that kind of takes a lot of pressure off because I go, well, if I can just write one article a week that I like, that something I care about, then that's quite nice for me because it's like I don't need to worry about how many hits did I get, how many downloads did I get, this obsession with metrics. I can just go, look, if it... If it resonates with one, all I need is it to hit the, the right note with the right person who could become my next amazing client. And then maybe after a year, if I'm not getting clients, I can review it and go, yeah, maybe I need to tweak this. But I do Ex- love that philosophy. And I wanted to point out, you know, you're very successful at what you do. So I don't want to over. I don't want to just, just dance over that, you know, because it's important <laughs> to be acknowledged. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it's that other thing of if you create a, if you create an ebook for that reason, um, and you're working one of your clients, um, you know, coming back to yes, I'm successful and I'm doing well, and I, you know, I don't create a huge amount of my own content, um, and I don't do really any of my, I, I don't do a lot of marketing because all of my work comes from word of mouth. Um, and that's because the service that I deliver and the end product that I create is good and it works yeah. and it generates results. Um, so then when people, uh, you know, for, for example, I work with a handful um, of businesses in Sweden that all came from one client who have recommended me to people who would do a similar thing to them. Um, and because I did a good job for them, they recommended me to someone else and recommended me to someone else. What's really helpful is when you get that first uh, email or inquiry from a new contact to be able to send them that the ebook that you've written because it's your Bible, not because you want to get 100 downloads of it, because it's something yeah. you absolutely 100% believe in. And you say, this is me. This is what I believe in. This is how, this is how I work. This is something that I, you know, if you want to find out a little bit more about me, here it is. Um, have a read of it you'll get an idea of my tone, my approach to things, uh, the way that I work. Um, and if it's right for you, brilliant. I'm 90% certain we'll have a really successful relationship. Um, if you read it and you think that's not for me, then great. Uh, but then, then let's, let's not start. You know, if you want someone who's always going to be wearing a suit and is based in London, I'm not the person for you. Um, but go and find that person. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and again, touching on what you said about the, uh, you know, the, the the boho coffee mugs saying how to, how to quit your job and get a six figure salary. Um, and it's it's horrendous. And I think it's it's also incredibly dangerous because people sell a myth that anyone can be a successful freelancer. And it's bullshit. And the reason it's bullshit is because so many freelancers fail. Um, You can be a successful freelancer. As you and I both know, you know, you can make it work for yourself. Um, You can do very, very well out of it. Um, You can do the work that you love with people that you love doing it with. But it takes one, an awful lot of experience to get there. Like both you and I had a lot of experience under our belts doing salaried jobs in various uh, various different places before we made the decision to go freelance. So we'd built up. Uh, an element of expertise uh, and knowledge um, and all of that stuff that goes with it and experience. Um, the second thing is it also takes talent. Um, people sell this myth that anyone can work from home in their, you know, in their underwear, drinking lattes um, and being super successful at doing it. And then when you're really successful at doing it, you can set up a course and teach other people how to do it. And then you'll have passive income and you can cruise around on your boat sipping champagne. It's uh, it's ridiculous because in order to be good at what you do, it you know, particularly when you're freelance, you have to have talent. Um, and, and you have to be good at it. And I think in order to to have that talent and that expertise, you have to love it. You have to be really passionate. Um, and it's a really cliched word being passionate about it. But um, it's, the, you know, it's, it's kind of true. You have to be passionate about the work that you do. You have to love doing it. Um, it has to be the kind of thing that you can get up every morning and be super disciplined and say, you know, even though the sun's shining and it might be a lovely day to go for a walk or go to the beach or, or do whatever you want to do, you have to be, no, I have to get this done. 
someone have to do it now? Because at the end of the day, your your reputation counts for everything and your reputation is built on the quality of the work that you produce, but also that the way that you conduct yourself with other people as well. Um, so I went off on a bit of a tangent there. Um, no, no, I think it's, no, like you said, it's, it's I think it's more, for, for me where that's important is just, is on unrealistic expectations. That was all. I think it's like I said, freelancing is possible, but it's just not that easy. And I think if you're, you know, there is to certain qualities, you do need such a talent and effort. Um, but I'm hoping that's the sort of goal long-term of interviewing people like you is they can give you the tools, sorry, you can give them the tools to sort of at least change their expectations and put in a groundwork that's going to help them stand a better chance. So I think, because I've taken up a lot of your time, the one thing I'd like to finish with, because this is someone who hasn't got an email list because I just binned it off the GDPR and I haven't done any blogging for months because I've just been working and doing case studies and stuff. So what are the three things I can start doing from next week that are going to really help me attract the type of clients I want to be working with from a content point of view? Go. So the three things you should start doing next week is start answering the questions that your most important customers ask you the most frequently. Um, okay. Start answering those questions because like attracts like. And if the uh, the CEO at... Um, one of the big clients that you work for asks you this question and another big client asks you that same question, answer that question for them. Um, it might be something about value, might be something about return on investment. Start answering questions. Um, secondly, do it. Set a, and, and don't set aside three hours to do it in a day. Do it quickly. Um, set aside an hour, book it in your day. Try and do it in half an hour. Sit down and just write something like you were answering that like you're answering that question. Um, that. The third one I would say is don't take it too seriously. Um, it is not have fun while you're doing it. Like content should be not all content should be fun, but a lot of content should be fun. You should enjoy doing it. It is your platform. We live in a world now where we can all be broadcasters, essentially. In our hand, we have supercomputers in our hands where we can broadcast live to the rest of the world. That's fucking cool um, and amazing. And if you told me that as a 10-year-old, I'd have been like, get out of town. That's, you know, that's never going to happen. We've got all of this technology at our fingertips where we can broadcast the stuff that we want to say. So write about the stuff that you believe in. Talk about the things that you believe in um, and make sure that people go away from consuming your content, feeling something. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter what that feeling is, but work really hard that they go away being inspired happy uh, motivated challenged uh you know they might even go away in tears having read something um but make an effort to be a force for good make the world a better place and i guess don't settle for the ordinary uh because so many people do and so many people just churn out things by the numbers don't be don't be another number uh because we're all capable of raising that bar pushing ourselves further and doing extraordinary things amazing that's wonderful. I, I will start next week and I, you will see. I don't know what the hell you'll see, but you'll see something. And I'll just get it out there. <laughs> Sorry, that was more than, that was a bit more than three things, but I got really into it. No, it's good. Like I said, I I love that, you know, there's a book called Do um, Do Open, is it? But I do lectures and it's yeah, about yeah. writing a newsletter. And I when I reread that, or I read it, sorry, for the first time, it made me realise, yeah, actually this can be important, but enjoyable. And I think what you've said is just, it backs that up of kind of, Start by creating content that's useful because people are asking for it. Don't think you know better. Ask for them, yeah. their help. And like do it in a way that is easy and probably, as you said, if you're writing it, if it was in an email and then you could just take that and pluck that and, you know, put it through Grammarly and put it in a blog post, you know, there's that's a great way to start, isn't it? And it said like just that thing of once a week, just write that and then see what's working. And then, like I said, do what makes you happy and you'll, you'll you know, you'll feel comfortable writing about yeah, and I know I know we're wrapping up, so we keep this really brief. But in terms of, we all get defined by trying to do the things that we think we should do. So yeah. I think I should be creating blog articles about this and writing a newsletter about that. Um, don't be defined by the shoulds. Do the things that you want to do. Um, that's that's where I'd start. Um, uh, and 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 don't let the preconceived notions of what makes good content. Uh, 
inf- uh, over overtly influence the stuff that you're creating be true to yourself um and and yeah do the stuff that you want to do and that makes you happy no i think that's a really powerful message and if i was advising people at being an artist or an illustrator i would say exactly that and a writer so as you say when it when it comes to producing what we're producing we shouldn't think any different because if you're just copying what's out there nobody's going to be interested so you've got to be individual and i think that's really nice and it's, and it gives you a reason to stick to your guns yeah definitely don't don't be scared of who you are either and take pride in what you do and celebrate your own work um because we're, we're particularly british we're really reticent to celebrate our achievements um yeah. but yeah believe in yourself have that belief and have that uh that knowledge that you have something valuable to say and then just find the best ways of saying it that's amazing. Thank you, Tommy. And if people want to follow you and your journey and your workouts and your diet tips and all your, all your I love it. Genuinely, you're one of the few stories I click on because I can see you have so much fun and there's a really nice blend of like sort of work and family. So if people want to follow you, how can they keep in touch? So luckily, I've got a very catchy name, which is Tommy Tonkins, uh, which I was teased a lot at school about, but it sticks. It's, it's good now. So website, yes, yeah, TommyTonkins.co.uk, um, and same on 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 Instagram and on Twitter, um, LinkedIn, and everything. It's just at at Tommy Tonkins. Um, my, it, you'll like my. I try and keep my Instagram as honest and authentic as possible. So it's a mix of the stuff I do on a daily basis, uh, workouts with my wife, food I eat, and a toddler running around being crazy because that's what life is for me at the minute. Um, And it's a way, again, going back to if people want to work with me, this is who I am. I've got nothing to, I'm I'm not, yeah, I'm not scared of anything. I've got nothing to hide behind. And if, if you are going to work with me, it's probably important that you get a good feeling of who I am and what kind of person I am. Amazing. No, that's really great, Tommy. Thank you for your time. You're very generous. Um, and thank you for having me. No yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Cheers, bud. Cheers, bud.